Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. I just got introduced, but I'll reintroduce myself. My name is Trevor Hyman. I'm the student and volunteer pastor here at Canton Church. Jeremy Isaacs, our campus pastor, who most of the time is on this stage, is actually speaking this morning at our Marietta campus. He is down there. They have a 9.30 and an 11 o'clock service, so he's speaking down there this morning. But he will be back here next week to conclude our three-week series, Perspective, Three Questions to Shape the New Year. But this week, you are stuck with me, and I apologize for that in advance. No, I'm just kidding. But when I was in middle school, I did what most middle school guys would probably do at one point or time. I decided that it was about time for me to start making some money. And so me and a friend of mine set out one Sunday to start a business, and we were going to cut lawns together. And that was one of those moments that we put in our mind. And if you remember when you were in middle school, every idea was the greatest idea that you came up with. If your parents came up with it, it was a terrible idea. But every idea you came up with was the greatest idea. And we were convinced that summer that we were going to make tens of thousands of dollars cutting grass using one of my dad's old riding snapper lawnmowers, an old push-behind mower that was pre-self-propelled, an old weed eater and a blower. And we were set out to make tens of thousands of dollars that summer. And so we started, we got up one morning, and we got everything ready, and there was a neighborhood behind where my parents lived at the time, and it was an older neighborhood, and so all of the yards were larger. It's not like the kind of the cookie-cutter neighborhood with the small yards now. All the yards were like half an acre to three-quarters of an acre of grass, and so we set out, and we were going to go, and we were going to cut grass and make tens of thousands of dollars that summer. And so we went, and what we realized rather quickly is that nobody with a somewhat decent yard was going to hire two middle school guys to cut their grass. And so what we kind of established over about 30 no's is the only people that are going to say yes are the people that don't care about their yard whatsoever. They just want it to get cut so they don't get another letter from the landlord or from the homeowners association or anything like that. And so we went to one house and the yard hadn't been cut in weeks. It was terrible. But we went to the front door, knocked on the front door and said, hey, said our names. We would love to cut your grass. And it's $25. And what we established, because it was my equipment or my dad's equipment, but my equipment, is that I would make $15 and he would make $10 out of that $25. And again, tens of thousands of dollars this summer, right? And so, but secretly, even though it was my equipment, I had to pay my dad five bucks for gas every yard. So I didn't really make more money than him, but I was the boss. And so we went, we cut that grass, and we thought when we finished, it looked like the fairways of Augusta, like gorgeous. It probably didn't really look that good, but in our mind, it was the greatest cut yard in the county. And so we finished that yard. Our heads were held high. We were proud. We moved on to the next house. We got like 10 more no's in a row. So kind of the morale was down again. But we went, we turned this corner, and we ended up in this cul-de-sac. And there was a house at the end of the cul-de-sac that had to have been used for the haunted house in the neighborhood. I mean, it looked like they hadn't done anything in the yard for years. The bushes were grown up in front of the windows. It was just one of those like, I don't really know if I can approach the door because I'm a little scared moments. 
but we were so needing and desperate for another yard to cut. So we went to the door. This lady answered, like, hey, can we cut your grass? And we talked about the yard. The grass was even taller, so let's charge more. So we went to the door, but we're like, we'll really do it for 25. And so we're like, hey, will you, we would like to cut your grass. And she's like, well, what's the price? We said $35. She's like, oh, that seems high. What about 25 and we're like, well, let's split the difference. What about 30? And she agreed to it. We walked away. I'm like, sucker, we'd have done it for 25, right? So like, we were excited. We're getting more money out of this yard. And so we cut this yard and we're going. And the system that we had set up is because I was a little more familiar with the equipment than he was. So I would put him on the riding mower to cut all the big areas. And I would do the push mower and I would do the weed eating. And then he would do the blowing. And that was our system. And so we started in, and I've got the push mower. And if you ever cut like a really, really tall yard with the push mower, you know how you kind of have to push the handle down to raise the front of the mower up to go forward a little bit and then lower it so to like munch, crunch, crunch down onto the grass. Then you pull back and then go forward. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You kind of have to work it, and then you go forward, and it takes forever. So this is what I was having to do. Now, doing this yard was prior to anyone ever explaining to me that before you ever cut a, a yard that you're unfamiliar with, you probably want to walk the yard and make sure there's nothing in the grass like toys or big rocks or anything like that. I didn't know that yet. Thanks, Dad. I wish I would have known that aspect of it. And so I'm cutting and everything's going great and it's awesome. And I lift up the back of the mower to raise the front to go forward over this big clump of grass. I lift it down so that it crunches down on the grass and it sounded like a bomb went off. And I let go of the handle really quick because I didn't know what I had hit. And I pulled the mower back. And I had launched plastic shards all over the yard that I'm scrambling to pick up before this lady looking out her window can see all of this mess. And so I'm picking it up. And then I go to like, okay, what did I hit? So I walk over. And you know when you have a septic tank? You have the white pipe that comes up, and I don't know why it has to stick up four inches, but it sticks up. I had obliterated this lady's cap to her septic line, and I was in a panic. I didn't know what was worse, the fact that we were going to lose our thousands of dollars because I had to hire now a tractor to come out, or the fact that she was probably going to make me call my parents when I went to the door. That was the more scary moment for me, I believe. And so I went to the door head down low, like holding the plastic. I knock on the door and I just kind of stood there and just did that. Like I was so ashamed. And so I'm like, listen, there's a pipe out there. At the time, I didn't know what it went to. I was like, there's a pipe out there. I hit it. Here's the extra piece. And I'm like, I don't know why. I just kind of like sat it in her hand. And it was, it was one of those just really awkward, like, there you go moments. I thought she was going to be like, get off my property. Like, you owe me for this. She didn't care. Like, she had trees growing out of her gutters. Like, she didn't really care about her yard much. She even paid us still to finish the yard. I didn't expect to get paid, but she still paid us. But in that moment, I thought to myself, I have blown any chance of a future of this is a career that I could have possibly ever thought I had. And we've all been there, right? We've all had a moment. Maybe it wasn't cutting someone's grass and destroying property, but we've all had a moment in our life where we've thought to ourselves, I've blown it. Like I've messed up this job. I've messed up this relationship. I've messed up this future. Maybe you've done also like I've done. You've backed into somebody in a church parking lot not here, don't worry, your cars are fine out in the parking lot. But you've all had that moment. We've all been there where we have blown it. Today, the question, as we continue our perspective series, is the question of, have I blown it? 
And as we look at that, as I think about that in my own life, I'm always taken back to the story of Peter in Scripture. Peter's one of my all-time favorite Bible guys because Peter royally screws up pretty regularly, and I love it. I don't love it because, like, bad on you. I love it because it makes me feel a little better, if I can be honest with you, that I can read about someone else's failures. I can read about someone else's flaws, and it kind of makes me feel good about myself. And I know that that's a terrible person. I get that. You're better than me. You don't read Peter's story to want to feel better about yourself. But I love reading about Peter because I love the realness of who he was, that he messed up that he lost faith in God in moments when he's walking on the water. He took his eyes off of God because he didn't think he could do it, and he started to sink. Peter regularly and time and time again messes up in Scripture, and I love his story. The more I study the Bible and the more I realize how often I really do blow it as a human, it's more I find myself in love with the story of Peter there's a story found in Luke chapter 22. If you have your Bible or your smartphone, you can turn to Luke 22. We're going to spend a majority of our time this morning there. But a little setup prior to getting to where we're going with the story in Luke chapter 22. This is where Jesus and his disciples are sitting down to have what we know as the Last Supper. He's sitting down to celebrate the Passover meal with the disciples. And this is where you get the moment of communion, where Jesus takes communion with disciples and he gives them the bread and he breaks it and he gives them the juice and he pours it out and he's describing to them that this is what his body is going to go through in the next several hours. This story in Luke 22 is taking place just hours before Jesus' arrest. And if we pick up the story, starting in verse 31, it's a conversation that takes place between Peter and and between Jesus. Your version of your Bible may say Simon Peter. It may just say Simon. It may say Peter. It's all the same guy, so don't let that confuse you thinking I'm thinking of someone else. But it says, starting in verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. That has got to be one of the most gut-wrenching things Peter has ever heard in his life up to this point. Here he is, he's telling Jesus, hey, like you're just describing to us what you're about to go through, that they're going to come, they're going to arrest you. You're just describing that your body is going to be broken, that your blood is going to be shed. And hey, Jesus, I just want you to know when they come to arrest you, they're going to have to go through me first. Hey, Jesus, I want you to know that if this is what you have to do, if you have to die, I just want you to know that I am going to be right there with you, dying right beside you. And I got to imagine Jesus kind of probably did something like this, like, ah, Peter, like, I don't know how to tell you this, but before the sun even comes up, before the rooster even crows to start a new day, buddy, like, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. Man, that's got to be hard. It's got to be hard if we continue reading on after Jesus is arrested, picking up the story in verse 54. It says, Then they seized him and led him away, referring to Jesus, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looked closely at him, said, This man also was with him. 
But he denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you were talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Man, what a harsh reality that that must have been for Peter when he had denied Jesus. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Then he hears that rooster in all of the conversations that he had with Jesus had to have come flooding back into his mind and it crushed him. And he went out and he wept and he was so upset and he mourned the fact that he couldn't stand strong and he couldn't stand up and say, yeah, I know Jesus and I'm proud of it. Did you know that this story in scripture is found by the Gospels so, to be so important that all four Gospels actually record this moment taking place. That's significant because not every story about Jesus or his ministry or the things that took place during that time is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Some are recorded in several of them. Some are recorded in only one of them. But this was recorded in all four of the Gospels. And now I've got to think, though, that if, if the guy that I had done landscaping with, landscaping, that's a really overword for what we did. But if the guy that we had done the grass cutting with decided to write a story about our lives, and he decided to include the story of me cutting the cap off of the sewage line, I feel like I would have been a little upset. Like of all the things that I did in my life, why does he feel it necessary to include that one? But the disciples... All four in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of those record this event, this moment of failure in Peter's life. They're all written about in all four of the Gospels. And I feel like today that I am so thankful that it's there. I'm so thankful that they found it so important to put in all four of them because it, what it does for me is it allows me to see that a man standing before the human form of Jesus blew it. Someone who had access to the tangible human form of God blew it. And I feel like thousands of years later, they wanted that in there so that you and I today in Canton, Georgia, can see that even someone that close to tangible God still doesn't always get it right. And so today, what I want to do with the remainder of our time is I want to talk about four realities of when we blow it. Number one, the first reality of when we blow it is that God knows we are going to mess up. There's a guy that most of you are probably familiar with by the name of Babe Ruth. Anybody ever heard of Babe Ruth before? Babe Ruth was a baseball player that I don't know if there's anybody in the room, maybe so, I don't know, that ever watched Babe Ruth live. Maybe a couple of people. I'm just kidding. Nobody probably ever watched Babe Ruth live. But Babe Ruth was an incredible baseball player. He had 714 home runs during his career, which is unbelievable. That's a lot of home runs. But did you know that he also went to the plate and totally failed 1,330 times striking out? Think about that for a moment. Almost per every one home run, there were two moments where he failed. He went to the plate, he stepped into the batter's box. All his teammates, his coach, all the fans, the general, 
the GM, the owner of the team, every one of them are sitting there saying, I've got all expectations on you. I expect greatness out of you. I expect this from you. He steps in. Everybody's hoping. Here comes another home run. And he let them all down. I feel like that's my life regularly. That I step into the plate or I step into the batter's box. I step up to the plate. I'm ready. Here comes the pitch. I swing and I miss. Here comes the pitch. I swing and I miss. Here comes the pitch. I swing and I miss and I've blown it. I feel like I regularly do so, but I love that in the story that we just read in verse 34, Jesus tells Peter while they're still sitting at the meal, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Jesus knew that Peter was going to do this, and Jesus wasn't angry at him. I feel like it was the same for Babe Ruth. He stepped into the batter's box, and his GM, his coach, his teammates, they all knew There's a really cool chance that he's going to hit a home run, but there's even a greater chance, almost two times of a chance, that he's going to fail. But they didn't stop sending him to the plate. Major League Baseball players are paid millions, and the guys who make the all-star team get a hit one out of every three times. They're sent to the plate with the expectation that they're probably not going to get on base. And I feel like for me in my life a lot of the times, that's kind of the way that I am. That I'm going to step into the batter's box. There's a chance that I'm going to do something incredible for God, but I feel like sometimes there's even a greater chance that I'm going to mess up because I'm human. Because I'm made of flesh. I'm not God. I'm not going to do everything with greatness. The reality for each and every one of us in this room is that we probably have all messed up I would probably even be comfortable taking the probably out of that. And that will probably all mess up again. A takeaway from this first point of God knows that we're going to mess up is even though we will mess up, God will not turn his back on us. Number two of the realities of when we blow it is God sees our failure. There's a story that probably, again, most of you are familiar with in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are living in the garden. They're living in perfection, and there's no sin in the world yet, and they walk in the cool of the day in the garden with God, and how incredible that must have been. But then there comes a moment where Eve is tempted by the serpent to eat of the forbidden fruit, Then she takes the fruit, and she gets Adam to eat of it as well. And then when that moment comes where they're supposed to walk in the garden with God, they're hiding. And God walks into the garden, and he says, Adam and Eve, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? And I feel like that's kind of like when a parent walks into the kitchen and they find flour poured out all over the floor. And then they walk into the living room and they find the, the flour-covered toddler sitting on the couch. And you're like, hey, did you make the mess in the kitchen? Like, you know that they've already made the mess. Like, somebody didn't break into your house just to pour, pour flour out and then leave. Like, you know who made the mess, but you're giving them a chance to be honest with you, right? I feel like that's what God was doing there with Adam and Eve. He knew what they had done. He knew that they had eaten of the fruit already. He knew that they were hiding out of shame for the mistake and the sin that they had brought into this world. And I feel like, for me, when I kind of got that, when I kind of understood the fact that I don't, I'm doing it in vain of trying to hide my mistakes from God, man, the weight that was lifted off of me. Because the reality is, for each and every one of us in this room, 
We can try everything we've got to hide our sins, to hide our mistakes, to hide our flaws, but we're doing it out of vain because God sees everything. And so you may not feel like it's a good thing that God can see my mistakes and God sees our failures, but the pressure that's taken off when you don't have to think that you have to keep trying to hide it is incredible. God knows when we mess up, so why do we hide it? If we go back to the story we read about Peter, verse 60, it says, but Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. This was the third person that challenged him. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. When you hear that, and you read that Peter denied, and as he was denying the third time, the rooster crowed. Then it says he looked over, and the Lord was looking at him. I don't feel like that was a look from God of how dare you. I don't feel like Jesus was looking at him like, I'm so disappointed in you. I thought you loved me. I thought you cared. I thought you would be here for me. I don't feel like it was a look of, I no longer love you, or I no longer care about you. Rather, I feel like when Jesus looked across that courtyard, he was listening for that rooster. And when he heard it, he knew what Peter had done. And he looked across that courtyard. And I feel like the look when they locked eyes was a look to Peter of saying, hey, it's okay. I know you're scared. I know you're hurt. But Peter, I just want you, look at me. Peter, I just want you to know I love you. I want you to know that it's going to be okay. I want you to know that I don't hate you. I want you to know that I haven't turned my back on you because of what you've done. The reality that God sees our flaws can be so encouraging to us because God is looking down at us just the same way. Hey, it's going to be okay. Look at me. I still love you. Hey, I'm not disappointed in you. I don't, I don't hate you now. I still love you. You're still my child. Takeaway for point number two is God sees what we have done, yet he still chooses to love us. The third point of the reality of when we blow it, number three, is that God loves us in our mess. One of the cool things that I love about reading the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about just the life of Jesus, the different narratives that take place, is how willing he was to jump into any person that needed him's mess. There's a story found in multiple of the Gospels where Jesus is crossing the, the sea and this is the story where he's asleep and there's a bad storm and the disciples wake him and he calms the storm. Well, they get to the other side. He steps off and there's a demon-possessed man and he casts the demons out of him. And then he gets back in the boat and crosses the sea again. I'm assuming by the time he got back from all of that traveling that he's probably ready to just chill for a while. Like, you got to think, like, he probably got back. They probably on the boat ride back had talked about, like, hey, where are we going for dinner tonight? Who's cooking? Like, what's the plans? Like, when we get back, hey, you tie the boat up. We're going to start cooking. Like, they probably had a game plan of when they got back. Let's take it easy. Let's get some rest tonight. Well, Jesus steps off the boat, and a guy named Jairus shows up. And Jairus walks up to him and goes, listen, I don't really live real close, so it's going to kind of be a journey. But my, da my daughter's sick. Jesus, do you think, like, you could come back to my house with me and just pray for my daughter? And Jesus, I kind of assume, kind of turned to the disciples, hey, cancel dinner plans. Cancel what we had scheduled. We got to go. Somebody needs me. And Jesus was so willing to, in a moment where he probably, probably didn't think about this, but he just said, go. I'm going to go, and I'm going to get into the mess of Jairus' life. 
I can remember when I was in late elementary school, my family and I were traveling to my grandparents' house. They lived just right outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we're driving up Interstate 75, and we got just north of Dalton, and that's the section where it kind of gets real hilly before you drop down the final hill right at the Tennessee-Georgia line. And so we're driving through that section. I can remember passing a broke-down car on the side, and that's not uncommon. You pass those all the time as you drive down the interstate. But this one kind of caught all of our attention because as we're driving by, you just see a bunch of little arms flailing out the windows. And so my parents who were in the front seat started talking about it. And we don't do this regularly, so I don't tell you, like, we're the greatest great Samaritans out there. I think this is the only time we've ever done this. But they said, hey, let's, let's check on that situation. So they got off an exit, turned around, started going south on the interstate, got off the next exit, turned around, started going north, pulled in behind this car. My dad got out, walked up to the car. Well, it turned out it was a single mom with four kids in the car. And she had borrowed a coworker's car, and the car was just a piece of junk, but she didn't own a vehicle. And she was in a pretty messy divorce situation where she had to get her kids to their dad in order for him to send the money for child support and all of that. And he wasn't the nicest guy. And so it was just a messy situation. So my parents piled her whole family into our car. They called my grandparents and said, hey, we're not going to make it for dinner tonight. And when they called the husband or the ex-husband of that lady and said, hey, is there anywhere you can meet us? And they finally negotiated that. And so we went and we sat at a Shoney's of all places. We sat at a Shoney's for about three and a half hours with this family. Me and my sister, we kind of played with the kids, and my parents talked to the mom and helped her figure out, like, what's her plans for the rest of the weekend? How's she going to get home? How's she going to get her kids back before school starts back on Monday? And they prayed with her, and we ate dinner, and we fed them dinner that night. And it was a moment where we put our own lives on pause to jump into the mess of someone else's life. And I feel like for my personal life, I feel like I'm the guy broke down on the side of the road quite often. And maybe somebody doesn't stop and ask for help. But what brings me so much comfort is in the craziness, in the messiness of the messiest situations of my life, it brings me comfort to know that God's in the back seat. He hasn't left me. He hasn't abandoned me. When I may feel like there's no one else around that gets it, that no one else around that's walking through the stickiness, one, God sees it. I don't need to hide it from him. And two, if I call out to him, he is right there with me. In the mess, walking through the just nasty parts of life with us. Jesus wasn't afraid to get right in the middle of the mess of Jairus' life. And I feel like in that look that he and Peter exchanged, Jesus was probably thinking in his own heart, man, I've got all of this going on, but I wish more than anything right now I could just run over there and just give Peter a hug and tell him I love him and just let him know that it's going to be okay. Because Jesus was just constantly surrounding himself with the mess of other people's lives. And that's what God does for each and every one of us today, a takeaway for our third point, is that God is not scared of our mess. Number four of our four realities of when we feel that we have blown it is that God gives us future purpose. After the story that we read 
in Luke 22 about Peter going and weeping. Then we know that Jesus is carried off to the cross. He's crucified, and three days later, he raises again. But what we kind of is gapped a little bit is what does Peter do after that? And there's a chapter in John chapter 21 where we kind of reconnect with Peter in John 21, and it tells us that Peter has gone back to fishing. Now, Peter is going, and he's doing ministry with Jesus, and everything's great, and he feels like he's had been called to a higher calling, and he's doing this with Jesus in human flesh, and then he feels like he has blown it, and so he just says, you know what? I can't do that anymore. I'm going to go back, and I'm just going to be a fisherman. So then this in, in um, John 21, this is where Jesus appears to some of the disciples again. And one of those is Peter. And it says Jesus comes and he's on the shore and he's calling out as they're out in the boat fishing. It says that the disciples start rowing back. And I just, again, I love Peter's character. Peter just jumps out of the boat and starts swimming back in. He's like, y'all aren't paddling fast enough for me. I'm just going to jump and swim. And he gets back and they eat a meal with Jesus. And then there's a conversation that takes place between Jesus and Peter, starting in verse 15 of John 21. It says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then again, he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. First, I find it kind of ironic, kind of humorous even to me that the last interaction really that Jesus and Peter had was Peter denying Jesus three times. Then when Jesus and Peter get alone for a conversation, Jesus wants to hear Peter say three times, hey, I love you. Hey, I love you, Jesus. Jesus says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, you know I do. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, I love you. Peter, do you love me? You know all things. You are God. You know I love you. And Peter, feed my sheep. What is happening here? is a moment where Peter thought that he had blown it. And he went back to what he knew best and just being a fisherman. And then Jesus reappears to him and says, Hey, I called you to more than that. Hey, just because you think you blew it doesn't mean I'm done with you. Just because you think that you have no hope because you messed up, that doesn't mean that I've stopped believing in you. And Jesus is going to Peter and saying, hey, what I called you to back then is still applicable now. You hit a speed bump, but that's okay. I still believe in you, Peter. A takeaway for our fourth point is that God has future plans for us in spite of our past failures. They may look different. It may be a different course because of the mistakes we make, the things we do, the choices that we take. So many times I have so many conversations with people. They say, hey, I've done this or I've chosen this path. I don't feel like God can use me anymore. I don't feel like God loves me anymore. I don't feel like God cares about me anymore. And in a moment where we feel like we have blown it, I want you to remember these four things. One, God knows you're going to mess up. 
It just brings comfort to me. Like, that takes the pressure off of my shoulders of feeling like I have to be perfect. Should I strive for excellence? Absolutely. But I can't meet perfection because I'm not God. And so just knowing that God is not holding me to that standard. Does he want me to be excellent in everything? Absolutely. But excellent and perfection are two different things. I can't achieve perfection. I can strive for excellence. Number two, God sees our failures. If we would spend less time trying to hide our flaws from God and more time talking to God about him, what would that look like in your life? If you just said, you know what, God, you already know everything. You already know the mistakes I've made. You already know the choices I've made. God, I just need you to help me through them. I need you to pull me out of them. Three, God loves us in our mess. When we feel like we're broke down on the side of the road, God is right there with us in the mess of our lives. You don't have to go anywhere looking for him. You don't have to do anything to search for him. You just say, God, I need you. And he is right there in the mess of it. Four, God gives us future purpose. When you feel like, man, I've blown it. I don't have a shot at a future anymore. God can't use me. I did this. I want you to remember and look back at the story of Peter, who in front of God in human flesh said, I don't know the man. The next conversation is God going to him and say, hey, I called you to something. You were called to be great. You hit a speed bump, but you have been called to feed my sheep. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for stories like Peter's that I today, thousands of years later, can so apply to my life. That God, I have moments where you are watching that I flow it. And God, I know I'm not the only one in this room. And so God, I just pray right now for myself and for every other ear that can hear me, God that we would say, God, I love you, and God, I thank you for loving me, and God, these are the mistakes I've made, and God, I pray that we can just hand those over to you and talk about them openly. Don't try to hide them because you know about them, and you're just like a parent with a child, ready for that child, and giving that child a moment of honesty. And then, God, I pray that we would see ourselves having a future for you, God, that we wouldn't see ourselves as someone who's messed up too bad, who can't be replaced, who can't be fixed. But the guy we can see that we've got a story, we've got a God story. That this world needs to hear, that we need to share. And no matter the path we've taken, God, you are ready for us to be used for your kingdom. God, we love you and we thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.